Welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows, one of the shows that we have up on air and online rightfully uh, so, and appropriately speaking, here at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. You can pick us up as, e- as either a, a podcast or a radio loop, depending on which of the two uh, links you decide to hit when you visit our homepage at Yes, www.centerlefttalkradio.com. The podcast, well, that speaks for itself. Uh, The radio loop is nothing more than a version of this show running in a loop. It's our most recent show, our currently featured show, however you want to say it, running in a loop on a separate computer. You pick it up at whatever point it happens to be, not unlike... In fact, very much like what it would be were you to uh, access us via a radio. Uh, And back in the classic days of radio, or not so classic, just a lot more of talk radio going on, uh, when uh, you simply hit the dial, and wherever the show was, that's where you started listening, got engrossed or didn't, stuck around, except that we give you the extra added feature. If you really get into it and you came in after it started, don't worry, just like a Saturday matinee for the kids at the local theater, it'll start over again after the show ends. In in this case, immediately, within about three or four seconds, the show begins once again. So uh, either way, we're glad you're with us here at www.centerlefttalkradio.com. Center Left Radio. Um, an interesting, interesting, th- th- this was this morning, I, I, I had a different idea about what I wanted to talk about today, uh, but this, this popped up uh, just, just a, f- a few minutes ago, and I, I was watching the Today Show, uh, not Today, uh, this would be uh, Morning Joe on MSNBC, here where I am on the east coast of the United States, it, uh, it, uh, it comes on at uh, 6 a.m., and it's preceded at 5 a.m. by a, a show that now that Jonathan Lemire uh, hosts called Way Too Early. He then moves over and does an hour or so or however much more uh, as, a, uh, as a panelist, pretty much usually, on uh, Morning Joe. But one of the standard features of uh, Morning Joe going back, I guess, into back into 2021, largely, was a report from Moscow uh, that would come in at some point during the show. And it was a report uh, involving the buildup or the, well, at that time, we didn't even think of it as a buildup, the positioning, the the psychological game we thought it was that Vladimir Putin, the the president but really king of Russia, 
uh, was uh, going through the kabuki dance of positioning troops around Ukraine and everything that he felt he had to do to assert himself and his power for, for, for whatever reason, feeling that that was the moment in his history, in his tenure, in Russia's history, where he had to assert his hegemony, his control, his, his ability to, as they alleged it at the time, purge Ukraine of Nazis and bring at least Eastern Ukraine, which was really within the Russian fold, bring it formally back into the bosom of Mother Russia. It, it, it all seemed crazy to us. Now, Crimea in the south of Ukraine had already been annexed for all intents and purposes, um, of, of, annexed insofar as Russia had been asserting control over Crimea. Effectively, Crimea... Uh, had been part of Russia at one point. It became part of uh, Ukraine through some technical process, and no one seemed to really be making too big a deal about the Crimean annexation by Russia. But now, as we all know, uh, you know, Russia and Putin had, uh, had, had, had their sights on a different goal. And, and no one really believed, though, that, uh, you know, it, it seemed to be saber-rattling. And, and uh, Keir Simmons, this British reporter, 50-year-old British reporter working for uh, NBC, uh, they uh, be had become and had been for a bit now the, uh, the, the Moscow correspondent. Uh, apparently having all sorts of connections within the government, able to really get good information, and was describing to audiences uh, what it was that was going on, that, 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 that seemed to be the real-world processes happening within the Kremlin. He, he'd be doing this, uh, with a uh, with a backdrop, he 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 always did his reports from outside. He's standing on a hill or standing on a balcony somewhere. It's overlooking a a highway, and on the far side of the highway are these very official-looking, uh, perfectly Soviet-looking buildings. I gather part of the uh, legislative complex of the Kremlin, and uh, and and this is what you would see on a daily basis until just around the time of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, apparently uh, Simmons and all other Western journalists, well, maybe, no, actually, this was after. He, 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 was there, he was there after this started. But Simmons and all other Western journalists were suddenly uh, cordially uninvited uh, from Mother Russia. It, this was, I guess, around the time that that happened was when the new law went into place that if you so much as suggested Russia was at war, if you didn't tow the party line, quite literally, that this was nothing but a military uh, 
a military operation, a military exercise, whatever, whatever the hell it was that Russia said, whatever Putin and, and company said it had to be. If you suggested that Russia was at war against Ukraine, and not simply uh, going in there to clean up the last remnants of Nazi control, some insane storyline like that, uh, you could find yourself with a 15-year jail sentence. And people have been arrested and convicted as the story goes about this. But Simmons disappeared. And I saw him this morning. He's back. He's standing in the same, I mean, it could be uh, a fake backdrop, but it was the same exact location, the same exact backdrop in the middle of all this craziness, in the middle of, I would think, the worst or the, well, no, let me try this another way, the least likely time that Vladimir Putin and Russia would want Western overs or Western uh, peering eyes, would want Western commentary about what they were doing, that, that being losing the military battle that they initiated against Ukraine. The least reasonable moment to reinsert Western overviews of those things. Here's Keir Simmons again. And I'm, and I'm still scratching my head trying to figure out why that might be the case. But what was even more <laughs> head-scratching and disturbing the same time was what Simmons was talking about, the open discussion that he was having with Joe Scarborough. And they were talking about the seemingly inevitable pathway that, that, that Vladimir Putin has, has set himself on toward the use of, at a minimum, tactical nuclear weapons. Today, by the way, is Vladimir's 70th birthday. The, according to Simmons, it, the, the celebrations were somewhat muted uh, in Moscow. There were no great jumps and parades and people yelling and screaming and victory marches and all that sort of thing. Uh, the, the, the stories are that Putin is not a well person. He's rather sick and uh, is using whatever medication to look as good as he is. Uh, he, uh, he just basically, he's not running around doing photographs of himself with his bare chest riding a Palomino any longer. It, it's, it's none of that garbage. But Simmons is there talking about Russian use of tactical nuclear weapons. Now, th that isn't as though... Uh, he is breaking with Moscow or, or saying something that Moscow hasn't said already, that, that, that the Kremlin hasn't, well, that Putin hasn't threatened. He is simply, uh, he was reiterating the seriousness of the story that this could happen. Yesterday evening, yesterday afternoon, late afternoon or evening, Joe Biden, President Biden, gave a uh, 
was, was I, I don't know, was part of a press conference or, or a briefing of some sort, but made the very, very specific point that the world was closer to nuclear war, nuclear Armageddon, he, he said at one point, than at any time since the Cuban Missile Crisis. And as we know, and as, 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 as has been pointed out over, over the years, most people did not recognize just how close we came to nuclear uh, <laughs> destruction during the Cuban Missile Crisis. There were, there were three Russian generals all in transit going towards Cuba whose joint, uh, joint uh, agreement would have been necessary to launch weapons at the United States. I, I, presumably Florida and Washington, D.C., I think is, what, is what, was, uh, what was discussed. Two of the three Russian generals had already either literally or done the equivalent of what was required to be done, of turning the key that ultimately would launch the missiles. Two of three had already gone, yes, we're going to launch. The third general did not. Now, what the connection was between that general and, and Nikita Khrushchev, whether, whether, whether there was an intercession directly from Khrushchev, how much Khrushchev was directly involved in it, I don't know. But the reality is that there seems to have been at that time an independent capacity and an unfettered one, it would appear, to launch missiles at the United States except for the fact that one of three Russian generals decided not to turn his key, as it were. That's the visual image that you often have. Everybody goes, okay, if, you're, if we're going to launch uh, at, at the count of three, turn your key, one, two, three, you know, boom, turn key, and then someone can push the button and off the... You've seen this before. It, it's in all these nuclear uh, immolation-type movies. It, it's out there, that, that, that imagery. And Joe Biden, on, on Thursday, uh, the 6th of October, today being Friday the 7th, Joe Biden said that we are closer or as close to nuclear war and the, the point of comparison is the Cuban Missile Crisis. Now, it was, it was Biden who was giving us constant updates about where the Russians were staging and, and what was going on and what we believed their capability was, all of that as they were building up towards the, uh, the invasion of Ukraine. And so he has something of a track record, if you will, for giving us accurate information, stuff that you might not otherwise get or, or not certainly not have validated through uh, media or other sources relative to Russian intentions and activities, certainly insofar as they involve Ukraine. So that when I, when I see two things, when I see Keir Simmons 
standing on this high level, uh, it, it, probably a porch across a highway with the Kremlin buildings behind him, saying that Putin seems to be drifting in this direction and there's no there's no counterflow in fact the narrative the only narrative that people can discern within russia is this sense that it's almost an inevitable movement towards the use of nuclear weapons i i would imagine that the reason simmons is standing there again saying that is that Putin wants that message coming from Western journalists to get out into the public. But he's doing nothing to prevent the basis for the, uses, the usage of nuclear weapons to be dissipated or, or limited. He, apparently, he can't even admit that he's losing the war in Ukraine. He can't say that I will blow the place up because I'm frustrated and my troops are untested and my command and control sucks and my generals are getting captured or killed left and right and troops are running off the battlefield and Ukraine is reclaiming territory in all four of the regions that I illegally annexed. He can't say it that way. But he has to get the word out that he's big and tough and mean. He happens to be sitting on the world's largest stockpile of nuclear weapons, tactical, strategic, and whatever else. And he wants the world to know, otherwise I don't think Keir Simmons would be there, that he's damned serious about this. Or at least he wants the perception that he's damned serious about it. You add to that Biden's statement about the proximity the world has to nuclear Armageddon, the comparison to the Cuban Missile Crisis, and lay that against the background of all the, what ultimately proved to be very accurate information about Russian intention and ultimate action in the buildup and then in the invasion of Ukraine. And I think we have something to be quite concerned about at this point. Um, I, I, I keep going back to this Noble Hearts Forum that we did here on Center Left Radio about, oh, now about two and a half weeks ago. Uh, a, group of my, a group of my friends from Regis High School, my very smart and thoughtful and, and uh, well-learned and, and professionally uh, embedded in the topic and knowing what the hell they're talking about, friends, and in particular, the statements that were made by Dr. Rich Corelli, a psychiatrist out in, based out in Stanford University in California, near, near, near San Francisco. And Rich felt, from everything he could see and knowing uh, the type and dealing with these type of personalities uh, throughout his professional career, he felt that it was nearly inevitable that Vladimir Putin would use a nuclear weapon at some point. 
Now, there, there's, there is the additional factor that Putin's health may not be looking particularly good these days. Add to that the notion that any perception on the part of and you've, you've you've had you've had these riots around the country uh, based on the attempt to call up 300,000 more reservists, many of whom are no more equipped to go fighting. I mean, and, and it wouldn't be like, well, we're calling up reservists to basically go ahead and deal with uh, a flood situation in New Orleans. No, no. You were calling up reservists to go and get their brains blown out in Ukraine to fight in Ukraine. So if you're a reservist being called up by, 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 by Vladimir uh, in Russia, you know that you're being called up because you're going to be sent to the front lines because the front lines haven't been doing good and the body counts are getting too high and they need more bodies to throw at it. That's the least. But you would be thrown in there well before you had either the desire, the ability, the mechanisms, the mindset, anything you would be far short of what you would need to be as a soldier in order to carry out the, the alleged uh, goals of, of Putin relative to taking uh, Ukraine and purging its Nazi, uh, its Nazi rulers. Chances are you get killed or maimed. A lot of that going on. Against that backdrop, Putin is still talking nuclear weaponry, and Keir Simmons is standing on a porch across from the Kremlin talking about Putin, talking about nuclear weapons. And my friend Rich Corelli is saying that he can almost, he feels almost certain that Putin's going to be doing something with nuclear weapons because he has nowhere else to go at this point. He is moving himself directly into that sphere. It's not as though he has another way out. If he could fight his way out with his military, that would be fine, I guess, and somehow you know, put some reality and some teeth into the phony annexation of the four regions that he has phonally annexed. But that doesn't seem anywhere, it's not within the realm of possibility. The Ukrainian army is, is too much for the Russian army. It doesn't seem as though that's going to change, and the supplying of American-slash-NATO uh, armaments is making a huge difference, and you have an army that is motivated and powerful and has got the spirit behind it and feels the wind at its back. This is the antithesis of the situation that Putin is dealing with. He has an army that clearly is only, its only uh, motivation is the propaganda vehicles that are coming from Putin and Russia and Moscow itself. And clearly the army is not experiencing, the Russian army is not experiencing the world as described by Vladimir Putin. And Putin knows that at some point, if the rhetoric and the reality remain this far separated, and if they continue to go in opposite directions, 
It will threaten him and his ability to rule independent of anything that's being said, any propaganda that's being put out there. So that he's, he's reaching or has reached, it might seem, a, 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 a point of no return. And he's offering himself no real off-ramps. Or, or, or there, there's, there's no way that anyone, Keir Simmons made a point of saying this this morning. You would think at, at, at this point in time, knowing that you, you're militarily, you are absolutely being overmatched on the battlefield by these Ukrainians, you know, these, 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 these Nazis who basically were a threat to Mother Russia and who you simply had to take into Mother Russia's bosom because, well, they were all just dying to become Russian again anyway. You know, that's what the referendum in the four regions in Donetsk and up and down the East Coast there, the East Coast, of, well, that's what that was all about. No, th that's not working. It's not working for anybody. The, the, the referendum and everything else is a sham, and there is no viable off-ramp. Putin has... The, the narrative is so divorced. The narrative coming out of Putin and the Kremlin is so divorced from the reality of the battlefield. There's not even really an admission that there's any real substantive problem. There, there, there may have been some admission of, of tactical issues that were encountered by the Russians, but the narrative is still all about we're winning, we're taking, we're going to win, we're going to conclude this thing. Exactly the fantasy that, that began the whole problem in the first place. There would be, it would be in our interest, it would be in the world's interest, it's certainly in NATO's interest, to give Putin, to, to construct some kind of an off-ramp for this guy where there could be, where he would have at least something that he could say to the Russian people and to the world to make it look as though everything really was okay. We, 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 we accomplished what we set out to do. Ukraine is no longer a threat to Mother Russia, uh, or maybe there is some kind of a, an affiliation. Maybe we hold on to Crimea. And really, that's all we wanted in the first place. We just wanted to... No, once you've annexed four regions, once you've declared them to be you and yours... You've basically shut the door to any off-ramp involving those reasons without turning around and saying, oh, remember that annexation that I did a few days ago? Well, I've just unannexed. It, 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 it's, it's sort of like Trump, you know, uh, uh, you know, classifying or unclassifying documents. Yes, I can, I can unaccess these un, unannex these places just by blinking, by thinking about it. I can unannex them and, and annex them, and, and so don't worry, it's okay. There is no off ramp. Once you've annexed illegally or legally, but illegally annexed these regions. And suddenly you're fighting and losing them as you, as from the, from the moment of this annex, from before 
and certainly from the moment of the illegal annexation. You are leaving, you are shutting, there, there's a weird thing going on here. It's like this guy is, he's, Putin seems to be manufacturing his own approach to an Armageddon. There's no, there's no off-ramp. There, there, there's no, nothing that Nikita Khrushchev could point to and say, okay, uh, we basically, uh, uh, we, we got the nuclear weapons out of, uh, you know, we, we took nuclear weapons out of Cuba. The, the United States is no longer going to have nuclear weapons there, or, or they no longer have nuclear weapons in Turkey faced at Russia. Well, we did. It wound up anyway, but that's another story. But, but there's, no, there's no balance and, and, and Cuba, Cuba hadn't been attacked by, uh, Cuba w wasn't, wasn't under armed, uh, you know, armed uh, uh, attack by Russia or technically the United States at that point. There was no war going on there. R Russia had not annexed Cuba, nor had we for that matter. None, none of the really egregious, grievous situations that are happening in Ukraine were at play in, in, uh, at, at that time, except the fact that the Russians appeared to have been on the verge of attempting to put nuclear weapons in, or they may actually have had some nuclear weapons on Cuban territory, and they got rid of them. And, you know, with the understanding that, uh, so said uh, uh, Nikita, that uh, the Russian, that U.S. got rid of their missiles in Turkey, well, <laughs> yeah. Um, th there was some face-saving. Uh, Khrushchev didn't go down the tubes instantaneously after, after 1962-63. Took a while. Where does, where does... Putin go. He's annexed four regions. He's made it impossible for himself to undo or, or to find a way out of this thing. He has, he has created a total disconnect between the reality on the ground and the rhetoric and the actions he has taken. What what kind of a person backs themselves into that kind of a corner? I, one simple answer is a person who wants to be forced, or, or wants to be, who is psychologically bent enough, who, who, who's, whose mental state is warped enough that it is looking for a justification for a decision that's already been made and is, is, is laboriously manufacturing the facts on a daily basis to raise the storyline to a point where the use of tactical nuclear weapons is almost an inevitability. Not almost. I mean, at the at the pace Putin is going, that's where this goes. That's that's the end game. The end game is a nuclear weapon. But then, he doesn't seem to be able to recognize 
what would happen next. Or, or that's irrelevant. Somewhere within his illness, the, the destruction, the inevitable destruction, I don't see a way around this, the inevitable destruction of Russia, the, 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 the decimation of the Russian army, certainly within Ukraine, NATO and the United States would enter the war. If, there were, if a nuclear weapon were, were used, that's it, game, g- game over. The Russian military force would be destroyed. The, what then would have to happen to Mr. Putin? How many more nukes would he launch or how many more nukes would he feel he had to launch before? What happens to any connection with energy supplies between himself? What happens to... You set off a nuclear weapon. You use a tactical nuclear weapon. And you have basically taken all the brakes, all of the bumper guards, every, all the guards are down. Everything falls apart very, very quickly. There are no, no logical or rational guarantees, no, no diplomacy, that's where it ends. And this is where Mr. Putin seems to be, he seems literally hell-bent on moving towards this. Now, I don't know. I don't know what the back channels are, are saying. I don't know if, if there is some rational process taking place within the back halls of the Kremlin. I don't know what the back channels between, or front channels, between the United States and Russia. I don't know what is being said or done. I'm using recent history... Mr. Biden's predictions of what was about to happen based on the intelligence and the information we had. I'm adding to that that Keir Simmons is standing on a porch across the the, the highway from the Kremlin saying exactly what Mr. Putin wants him to say, namely that nuclear weapons seem to be the the direction this thing is going in. And I'm taking the fact that Joe Biden used the term nuclear Armageddon and compared it to the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was a hair's breadth, one Russian, one rational Russian general's breath away from becoming nuclear Armageddon. I'm taking all of those factors and I'm saying you add to that a 70-year-old guy whose health is not good and whose mental state is as poor as, as, as anyone can imagine, and, and we got a problem, folks. We got a problem here. And, and this problem could ultimately dwarf anything going on politically in this country. We, we could suddenly find ourselves, my God, I mean, this could be the thing that we feared the most in the 50s and the 60s. 
And like so many other things, we imagine, no, we, we got through that, we're past it, it couldn't happen again. But it is happening. And this time, with a better chance of happening than at least since the early 1960s. And there's a guy at the helm in Russia who's doing everything in his power, it seems, to solidify the narrative that invariably, inevitably ends with the use of nuclear weapons. How? <laughs> is, is, is anyone else keeping track of this? I, I don't really know what I'm trying to suggest or suggest that we do, that the United States do at this point, or NATO does. I, obviously, uh, Putin wouldn't mind the thought of the United States and its allies in NATO suddenly telling uh, uh, Ukraine, look, look, the only way out of this is if you guys just, just give him what he wants and, and that'll stop the potential use of, of nuclear... Nothing is as bad as uh, him using nuclear weapons. So, so give the crazy bastard what he wants. Let him have his four next regions and uh, we, 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 we'll, we'll cover, we'll, we'll foot the bill. We'll foot the trillion dollar bill uh, for rebuilding your country. Well, that's the other thing, by the way. Someone's going to have to rebuild Ukraine. Uh, all the damage that's been done by Russia is, is astronomical uh, by, by, by any measure. Another, another area of no going back. You've destroyed this thing. It's got to be rebuilt. The Ukrainians are absolutely committed now to not negotiating their way out of this with you. They're going to defeat you, and they expect you to rebuild their country. I mean, you've really pissed them off. Oh, and they're beating you on the battlefield. So, so let's see how much, how much uh, force the idea of uh, United States and, and NATO, please get, get, to, get to Zelensky and, and, and tell him, uh, please, uh, just back off. Let the Russians have their four annexed regions pull out of the entire thing. He'll stop yelling and screaming. Maybe they'll eventually rebuild the pipeline under the Black Sea that the Russians have sabotaged, the gas pipeline, the natural gas pipeline that's been blown up in three or four different places, apparently, and is just leaking gas all over, the huge bubbles of gas coming up in the, in the middle of the North Sea, the Black Sea, sorry. Uh, and, and, and who knows, maybe, maybe Russia and OPEC will decide to start pumping some more oil. Maybe, maybe, maybe Vladimir will find ways to become rational. But all he's got left right now was the oil card, the energy card. He's, now he's played it. The energy card has been played. Uh, Russia is whole counting on Europe going through a long, cold winter. And it may, but I don't think it's a winter that's going to break resolve. Russia will go through just as cold and hard a winter. And we're down to the final strokes on this. We're down to the final moves. The, the, we're running out of game board. After the uh, energy option, 
That's about it. Uh, China and India are not going to become allies of Russia in, uh, in the effort to force Crimea to permanently surrender uh, the four regions. They are not going to become the outlets for Russian energy to pick up the slack. Remember, even though Russia may basically be uh, upping the price of oil by cutting it back, they're going to get less revenue ultimately. They'll have less revenue on, certainly on their natural gas line. For the, for the time being, they're cutting off their nose to spite their face. There's the moves on the board and the size of the board are just becoming fewer and fewer. The restrictions are there. We're down to the last moves. Maybe, maybe, maybe this goes on for a bit over the winter uh, to see how the energy aspect plays out, but no one honestly suspects that NATO and Europe and the Ukraine are all going to succumb and say, oh, 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 it, we're having a little bit of a tougher time this winter. The Ukrainians, after having their, their, their country nearly destroyed by Russia, I mean, just civilian and, and every other form of infrastructure just being wantonly, wantonly shot at simply because troops on the ground can't do what they're supposed to do. Everything that, that Putin is doing is basically reinforcing the notion that a long-distance uh, strike, presumably with a nuclear weapon, that's, that's, the, that's the move that's left here. You can't do it with troops on the ground. That's being taken away. Where does it go? I don't, I don't have an answer. It's, a, it's an ugly ugly situation that Mr. Putin has manufactured and that we're all sort of in the middle of. I, I don't see anyone backing down on the Western side. Putin has to know that. And he's just building this and building this and building this until he takes himself out in a blaze of glory. I see this as a a rather elaborate uh, suicide plot on one level, or I, I don't know what to call it, but it's real, it's happening, and we, we seem to feel somewhat removed from it. <clears throat> Here in this country, <clears throat> we, have our, we have our politics, we have our own insane uh, leader or wannabe uh, autocrat Donald Trump governing the actions of half, roughly half the political establishment. And so the Putin stuff kind of drifts into the background or has so far. We're just weeks away from our midterm election. But nothing, nothing will, will exceed or supersede the horror of what might follow if Vladimir Putin makes use of tactical or otherwise nuclear weapons in the fight against Ukraine, in his efforts to um, destroy any resistance to him and Russia 
in Ukraine, in, in his effort to preserve his fantasies about himself personally, about Mother Russia in general. They, they seem to be merged in his mind. Nothing would be that bad. Nothing would be that almost long-term and permanent. American politics come and go. And even though we're in a pretty lousy state right now, it could be a hell of a lot lousier if Mr. Putin isn't stopped. Really. It's, it's, a, it's a Friday in early October. The weather is going to be gorgeous here in the, in the, in the lower Hudson Valley today. I'm sorry to, to drop a bummer thought like this on you on such a lovely morning. This, the, 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 uh, the dawn has broken finally around here, and it's lovely. The trees are still nice and green down here. They'll change soon enough. But here we are. This is the reality. And my thought is, if there are rational heads in any kind of a situation of control or in any position to have, to, to, to have some bearing on, on the ultimate actions being taken ostensibly on a, on a unitary basis by Vladimir Putin, I have to believe that the United States is, is appealing to those forces, is 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 focused on those forces that things are happening in back channels right now to somehow try to negate or blunt the otherwise inevitable path that Vladimir Putin seems to be laying out for himself and his country and that's further underscored by what Joe Biden said yesterday what Keir Simmons is saying today and, and the gut feelings and, and well, the professional, the professional assessment of a highly respected American psychiatrist, and I'm sure many others who would uh, review Putin's mindset, even you know, at, at, the, at the risk of, uh, of toying with the Goldwater rule, uh, but uh, doesn't apply apparently on an international situation certainly not to Vladimir Putin. Hope. Hope that people are doing things in the background that don't seem to be taking place in the foreground. Hope. And a little jazz.
Hi, this is Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to Center Left Radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. And we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial, progressive programming. And we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Think of it this way. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can on a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, $5, $10, $1,000, whatever you can contribute to make center-left radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident and as we seek to hold the House Democrats accountable for the promises they made to the American people during the last election. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Center Left Radio, thank you. You've been listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. Yes, uh, leaders Kim Jong-un, others have, have threatened the nuclear uh, option, have rattled the saber, but none have backed themselves into a tactical and logistical corner like Vladimir Putin. He seems to be doing everything to force his own hand. It's a disturbing situation, and we can only hope that there are back channels looking to blunt that hand.